joining me today, I have Gary Bowerman, who is the director of Check in Asia, which is a travel consultancy and marketing business focused on the tourism industry in Asia. We're going to be talking to Gary about travel trends and that ultimate $60 million question as to when the industry will pick up again. So let's start with that, Gary. What do you see? What's your forecast for 2021 for travel in Asia? Yeah, well, hi, Sharon. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, what's my forecast? Well, I think one of the things we've probably learned through 2020 is to avoid making forecasts. Um, but what we're all hoping, particularly across the, the Asian travel industry, is it has been hit so hard. It's probably been hit the hardest of any travel sector in the world because it was growing so fast throughout the 2010s, right up till 2019. And even into January this year, a lot of countries in our region were actually recording record figures. We're looking forward to a very, very strong Chinese New Year, but obviously that didn't happen because the virus just took hold. So what's our hope for 2021? Well, I think everybody in this industry knows it's going to be a slow start. Things aren't going to happen straight away. It's not going to be the, the Chinese New Year that everybody is hoping for in the region. You know, we really need to reboot this industry, um, but it's going to, it's going to become a, a slow grind. The, vi the vaccine is going to be very, very important. We are going to be looking at, at small travel bubbles. We're going to be looking at regionalized travel uh, developments to try and kickstart in a phased and gradual manner. Um, but in terms of the, the borders being thrown open across Asia, that's, uh, it's not a prognosis that anybody is expecting, certainly in the first half of the year. You mentioned travel bubbles. Um, we haven't actually managed to get one off the ground yet, as far as I'm aware. Uh, where do you see those being most likely to be formed? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, this this term goes back to, to late April, early May, when Australia and New Zealand were talking about instituting a travel bubble between those two countries, two islands, relatively remote, geographically very close. Uh, and at that time, if you go back to the beginning, the middle of the year, they looked to be in about the same place in terms of controlling COVID-19. And Australia obviously had the, the outbreak in, in Victoria, which has postponed that. Um, this week, you know, Australia and New Zealand look like they are, they are hopefully going to, to get that going. Uh, currently, it is, it is up and running, but it's only a one-way bubble. So New Zealanders can travel to Australia quarantine-free, but Australians can't go to New Zealand yet. Um, but it's looking positive that that will start at some point in the first quarter of next year. Um, New Zealand has also said that it will uh, institute a travel bubble with the Cook Islands. Um, Cook Islands has had no infections whatsoever. It's a close destination. Um, so we are really looking at any bubbles that get off the ground will be close and regionalized. You know, the one in this region that everybody was hoping would, would get up and running was the Hong Kong and the Singapore um, travel bubble, which was supposed to be, begin, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, but that just became too difficult. It's winter in Northeast Asia. And for Hong Kong, they are seeing a, a, a spike in infections. And it just became too difficult to, to get that one up, up and running. But, I, you know, come spring next year, I, I'm optimistic that that one will, will be rebooted. Singapore has said, hasn't it, just recently that it will start up um, a travel bubble with Taiwan. Is that right? It's actually what it's done is it's done with a handful of countries. It's actually removed the uh, the quarantine requirement for, for travelers coming into the country. So Taiwan, yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's also done the same with Vietnam, with China, uh, with a handful of other countries, New Zealand, Australia, and I think Brunei. But basically, it, it's a one-way bubble. It, it's It's basically just trying to push the system. It's, it's basically saying that, you know, you can come to Singapore, you don't have to quarantine, you just have to do a test, which means you probably have to stay in a hotel for about 48 hours. And then if you test positive, uh, then if you test negative, 
uh, you, can, you, can, you can enjoy the rest of your holiday. The problem with that is, of course, is that most borders, outbound borders are still closed. So while Singapore is saying, you know, you're welcome to come, they are looking forward a little bit to when, you know, borders normalize a little bit. Mm, I suppose in terms of the Singapore tourism industry, though, that the fact that the Chinese can come back in must be quite a big thing, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, China is a, is a massive market. So is Indonesia for, for Singapore. Um, you know, Singapore is really, in terms of Southeast Asia, it's been the most progressive in its thinking. It is looking ahead to try and open uh, various aspects of its of its tourism economy next year. It has quite a broad ranging economy, as you know, as you know. it has a strong gaming industry, has a strong business and, and mice events uh, sector as well. And, you know, it's secured the World Economic Forum for 2021, which is a big gain for, for Singapore. And it really shows the region that, you know, there is a way to reopen in a responsible, safe and secure manner. Um, I think, you know, they will be the guiding light in 2021 in this region. What about, you mentioned um, Vietnam just there as well as being one of the countries that can um, at least travel outbound. Um, how do you see them opening up over the next year? Because they've been pretty much um, under control for some time now, haven't they? Yeah, that, that is a, a, an intriguing question because Vietnam has a lot of cards to play. It has a strong inbound market, also has a very strong outbound market as well. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a large population country and it has really managed to control the virus extremely well. But I think as we're finding across Asia, you know, locking down, containing or even eliminating the virus is very, very different to reopening again. And you are seeing within society, you know, they had a couple of spikes of domestic uh, transmissions earlier in the year. And I think it has spooked people a little bit. And so there is a real wariness about allowing um, foreign travelers back into the country. But I think, yeah, Vietnam has a lot of cards to play. It has a very strong travel industry. It's growing very, very fast. Its airlines have been growing very, very fast in recent years. So they need those routes back. How it plays those cards is difficult to say. It doesn't have as strong a relations with China as perhaps some of the other countries in the region. And that would be a market we'll definitely be looking to. Um, but, you know, you could see it doing a, a travel bubble perhaps with, with Australia, maybe with Singapore. I think that's probably the way it would be looking. Interesting. And what about domestic travel in the meantime? Um, <clears throat> how has that managed to fill in the gaps? If well, that's exactly the right word, filling in the gaps. You know, we, we have seen some surges across the region, particularly in the larger population countries where you can have more people traveling at one time, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand. But you're right, it only fills in the gaps. People are traveling uh, at public holidays, at weekends to celebrate. You know, they're doing staycations as well in their own cities. Um, but for, for hotels and airlines that have huge inventory to fill every single day, it only really scratches the surface. And without international travelers, you know, it does keep some businesses afloat. It does keep some flow of travel going. It does keep travelers in the air and, and confident that they can travel during this period. But in terms of the overall economies, it's, it's, it's low scale. Right. What have the governments been doing to promote domestic tourism to try and shore up these businesses? Been doing a lot. I would say most of the governments in the region, you know, you look at uh, Thailand's had a very strong domestic campaign here in Malaysia. We've had one too. Japan as well. They have really been, Singapore has been very, very, because Singapore doesn't have really a domestic sector. It's a city state. So it's quite hard to promote um, domestic travel, but they have been working really hard. They have been quite creative. Obviously, a lot of the, the focus has been on discounting, discounting airline uh, uh, flight tickets and, and hotel rooms just to try and build some inventory. Um, but I would say, 
think all the governments in the region have pushed it quite hard, knowing that really it is just an interim phase that, you know, businesses need to stay afloat until they can welcome back international tourists. In terms of welcoming back, I mean, that process of getting the airlines up and running again, do you see any issues there? There's been so many yeah. flights absolutely huge issues i mean you look at the way that the the big airlines have slimmed down you know cathay and singapore airlines the two sort of signature airlines in this region have slimmed down considerably in terms of their size their capacity their routes and, and their staff numbers as well most big airlines have got air, aircraft parked in these boneyards in in the us or in australia and and then some of the the important airlines to this region like air asia you know, that's lost some of its operations. Japan is closing down. India looks like it may go too. It's lost a lot of its staff as well. And it's very intrinsic to the Southeast Asian travel ecosystem. Um, it's still alive. It still needs more funding. But, you know, if this continues for much, much longer, the pressures are on it on its cost base are, are very, very high. We need them back to, to, to reboot the economy. We're going to need the airlines back up and running pretty quickly. And, yeah, that's, that's an issue that uh, the industry is, is struggling with right now. Yeah, you, you mentioned the World Economic Forum in Singapore next year. I mean, it's going to be a challenge to get participants there, isn't it, really? On such a large scale event? Yeah, it is. And on the scale that it would normally be. And, and you know, they won't be wearing their, their ski boots and their snow hats as they as they ordinarily would. But, you know, Singapore, can, Singapore has great um, facilities. It really can host big events. It's done that before. Um, so I don't have any worries about in terms of the actual logistics of managing that. I think they will be able to do that. Um, it's what comes next. It's whether that actually does signal to to the rest of the industry and the rest of the region that you know you, these events can be handled safely. There will be huge protocols, of course, there will be, but you know it it it, it it's a green light for us all to look forward to because it's been such a dismal year in Asia. What about the broader mice business? How do you see that coming back? Yeah, I mean. You hear so many different prognoses about what will happen with mice. You know, has has this actually just taken out huge chunks of the business? You know, will we be doing more hybrid and, and virtual events going forward? And I think in the near future, probably yes. But, you know, there are elements of conferences and trade shows that are really important in Asia because economies and businesses are growing so fast that, you know, they do need to be able to showcase their new products, their new services. There is a culture of meeting together face to face in Asia, probably more so than in, in Europe and, and North America. So I think mice will come back, but the issues are, are still going to be for a long time is how you manage mice events safely, because you have a lot of people together that are intermingling uh, all the time. So managing those is going to be quite difficult, but I do see that the region will push mice because I think it's, it, it is so intrinsic to the way that the, the, the business travel sector works in, across Asia. Um, if you had to say really the one key thing you'd be looking out for next year, what would that be? Well, that's a difficult question. The one key thing, well, the, the vaccine will be incredibly important into building confidence um, amongst governments. Building confidence amongst governments is is underrated aspect because nobody has really wanted to move first this year. Everybody has been waiting for somebody else to do it. And I think in Southeast Asia, everybody's looking to Singapore. But Singapore is quite a unique economy. It's quite a unique travel economy. And a lot of the other countries in the region, you mentioned Vietnam earlier, you look at Thailand, they're very dependent on leisure travel. And opening up leisure travel as compared to business or mice travel is very, very different uh, concept. It has a lot more risks inherently in it in terms of transmitting the virus. So 
I would have loved to have seen this year a little bit more integration within ASEAN countries, getting them to actually work together. ASEAN itself has been pretty useless on that. It hasn't really provided much hope. And the result is that we have a very much a two-speed uh, situation here. So there are four countries, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, and Myanmar, where the case rates are, are still not under control by any means. And then you have the other six countries that are COVID normalized or even COVID safe. And you know, the way that this is looking, the regionalized sort of green zone travel that we'll be looking forward to in, in, the, in the coming year, you know, those COVID safe countries are going to be the ones that are going to benefit. So I think we would hope that China will come back into play. I think we'll hope that Australia and New Zealand come back into play because they're all really intrinsic markets to, to building regional growth here. Um, but it's very hard to actually forecast what will happen. This virus, as we've proved, is so volatile, it's so dynamic. It's winter in large parts of the region right now. So I think it's fingers crossed to get through the winter and, and then start rebuilding in the second quarter of next year.